Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third series of The Human Podcast, a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. This podcast is dedicated to honouring our experiences of transformation, our ability to live through, live with, and beyond the inevitable devastations and renewals of living. So often, our personal stories of tragedy and survival are left untold hidden behind the facade of ordinary life. Human has been created to make them more seen, more heard and more celebrated. Because I believe, within them, we can all feel more connected to our shared humanity. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. Laura Dockrell is an award-winning author and illustrator of books for children and young people. What Have I Done is her first book for adults, which courageously narrates her experience of postpartum psychosis, which she experienced after the birth of her baby boy. Postpartum psychosis occurs in 1-2% to of births. The onset is usually very sudden, most often within the first two weeks postpartum and often for women who have never had any previous history of mental health issues. The symptoms are wide and very varied, but can include delusions or strange beliefs, hallucinations, hyperactivity, decreased need or inability to sleep, and paranoia and suspiciousness. Of the women who develop a postpartum psychosis, research has suggested that there is approximately a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate. The illness is considered a mental health emergency. The opening sentence of Laura's incredible book says... I very nearly didn't write this book. It scares me to death, revisiting the messy pain of what happened to me. It's a lot of holding on to myself, thinking, wow, that was close. I've seen something that I can't unsee. Trauma can make you fragile and vulnerable, and shame can stalk you in its wake. Writing about my postpartum psychosis is like stepping into a field of landmines with a blindfold on. So you can't really underestimate the, the enormity of the bravery and, and courage it takes to have these conversations. And so I just wanted to start by, Laura, saying thank you so, so, so much for, for being with us and for giving our listeners some, some time up close with you, mm. you magic lady. And, um, thank you so much. But before we start, just, just how are you today, my love? How are you today? Oh, well, I was just telling you, Jess, I'm great because Jet's gone to school for a full day. So Yay. I'm like, oh my God, I can actually finish a cup of tea down to the bottom. <laughs> I can talk to the on the phone. He, he, he fancies me at the moment. It's quite intense. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I saw a dress that I liked the other day, this big pink, big, massive big pink ball gown kind of crazy thing. And I, my partner Hugo was like, you can't buy that. Jet will die if he sees you in that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like serious crush at the moment so oh. I'm it's kind of nice not to be crushed on right now <laughs> by my son just for a few hours living yeah. in the Oedipus theory in real yeah, life yeah well, I've got Hamlet on. on my hands well nice to see those developmental landmarks are bang on point <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh. milestones are reached yeah brilliant um so Laura you know there are 
one of the really really important things that you've you've done with with your book and so much of the advocacy that you've done around the issue of postpartum psychosis in the last couple of years is really sort of bringing out of the shadows a lot of the stuff around postnatal postnatal experience which just isn't given voice Mm. you know and you know I I certainly know this from my own experience of having babies you know there are often cool winds of silence and shame around Mm. postnatal mental health you know there is silence where there needs to be conversation um you know, I, I was 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 just wondering. You know, do do you feel that you know your your mental health at that time was exacerbated by the lack of space that there was to sort of name and and voice what was what was happening to you? Totally. I think. Well, first of all, I think nobody wants that to be the case. You know, mm. nobody. I even remember the doctors themselves I was going to the GPs just so you know every single day which is the thing that I'm probably most proud of is that and I will urge anybody listening to this the message from the first get-go if you take away one thing it's ask for the help get the help I was going to the GPs every single day and I'm so fortunate and feel so privileged that I was able to immediately go this something isn't right I need to talk to somebody and I can so see there's so many threads going on I can see how tempting and easy it is to not ask for the help because you're worried what somebody is going to say anyway especially then when a baby is involved throw that into the mix you don't want to admit that you're finding the thing that you're meant to be and this is with you know a speech marks like the best at what you're duty or purposes on this earth you can't do it Mm. um it feels like you're failing already at the ultimate life athletics and Mm. you can't say that you're in crisis but I really feel like the GPs also didn't want to say to me yeah that's what you've got because this diagnosis is so big Mm. um and it was only flagged once it was baby blues then I was diagnosed with severe adjustment disorder um it was just sleep everything was sleep I sort of felt like this I've never had a problem sleeping I felt asleep stand up watching a Bjork gig at Glastonbury once before you know I, and suddenly it's like I felt like this uh story tale uh, story tale story fairy tale princess that everyone in the town was like wishing to sleep mm. has she slept yet has she slept yet and but at this point you know you mentioned it in the instruction but the sleeping is like you, you can't it's not it's one of those old earth really niche things where it's like you can't sleep because of the illness one of the symptoms is sleeplessness but then because of the symptoms you also can't sleep so it's just completely perpetuating um and yeah it's a it's corrosive because this expectation to be this perfect mum to instinctively have this seed in your chest or your womb whatever that comes to life once you're a mum um and when it doesn't and you feel like you can't you can't say I'm actually really struggling and you have already paranoia and conspiracy theories because you've got postpartum psychosis or depression yeah. or whatever but then you're scared to say it because someone you think oh the government are going to take my baby away oh, that's yeah. before the thread of paranoia comes into it so it's a really it's everything against you really mm. you don't so what I'm trying to say is you don't want to ask for help because you're scared that asking for help is going to let you put everyone on, you know, you're on their radar and they're going to go, oh, this person's struggling. Let's focus in on her more. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's and a paradox. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, certainly that sense of asking for help strangely feels like you're stepping into an even more vulnerable place by asking for help because my god what's going to happen if people think that I can't look after my baby you know I remember saying to my sister's partner um going um he said it was horrible because you thought we were all talking about you but we were all talking about you but we were talking about you because we wanted to help you and I was like oh a little bit like planning a surprise birthday party for me he was like yeah a little bit like a surprise birthday party just to get you to a psychiatric ward (laughs) That was a party. <laughs> did you do you remember those times? Is there kind of lucidity to the memory or Oh my god, like that's probably the hardest. But I I've, I've met I mean there's no real way to say who's you should never compare anyone's recovery, but I work very closely with the organization Action on Postpartum Psychosis mm. now and some of the women don't remember anything and mm. part of me is so envious of that you know of course I'm sure for the processing of that that's difficult and has its own challenges too and some sufferers do want to remember but I remember everything almost too closely you know I I revisited the hospital when I was writing the book and that took an enormous amount of courage to do it and I'm so glad I did because it dialed down all the fear everybody that I I I was scared I was going to go back and the other you know 
patients there were going to just look so different to me and the environment was going to feel so strange and honestly the other people there or the clients were just like people you'd see in supermarkets in the mm-hmm. bank at the school playground you know you can't see that's the thing about mental illness it's so invisible and um so uh yeah I remember it all and and everything so when I revisited the hospital I, I can't even explain like even the you know the things where the fire extinguisher is like saying everything my memory was so pressed into my all my senses were working so hard at that time I literally would thought so my thinking was so overworking at that point that my brain would thump like I could feel the veins in my brain like the network of pulsing so being there it was like tattooed on my mind like so the opposite I remember I think of it too much it's too close which is why writing about it has just absolutely saved my life because the the psychosis was one thing but then it's the aftermath of the psychosis which is just the the, that's the hard bit because it's almost a bit like okay that's done now that's wrapped up you're back now there's antipsychotics have worked you've had your therapy but now you've got to live with this and that's that's the bit that you've got to that's the new processing and you you start to there's another passage from your your bit, Laura, that I wanted just to, to read because I think it really crystallises so much of this. You said, perhaps, you know, perhaps your first year of motherhood was what you expected, but it certainly wasn't for me. Having a baby almost ruined my life. I soon realised that I'm not alone. So many women have related to some degree. Many mums feel they push their personalities out of themselves along with the baby. They feel lost and are trying to somehow put the old selves back together. Nobody warns us. And, you know, I just feel like what your what you what you are narrating in both in your book but just in in this amazing way that you you talk about your experience is this you actually quite a universal thing which is that you know every woman when they become a mother is either consciously or unconsciously required to carry the burden of the maternal archetype which doesn't give space or even name the darker chaotic aspects of birth and new motherhood and the kind of sudden new identity of 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 mother you know we're we're told we're going to you know emerge as a new mother in this and in the kind of softness and neatness and cuteness and and it's not that it's there's deep chaos and darkness to to to, to birth and new motherhood too and just if you could just kind of speak to us a little bit more about that because what you're describing about going back to the hospital and the kind of you know these very vivid memories of you know, whether it be the, the, the fire escape sign or the, the faces of the people, it's like those were your memories of early motherhood. <laughs> it's mm, not, totally. it is not cuteness and sweetness and softness. It's no, like, no, no, no. First of all, yeah, not only had I not had any mental health, probably not even a half a day of anxiety before this experience. I've also never been fortunate enough to have never actually been in hospital care. I broke my wrist when I was a kid, but I was in and out having a Chinese takeaway by six o'clock. So this was a whole different thing for me. Um, And I wasn't actually hospitalised in a mother and baby unit, so I was also separated from Jet. Um, So there was that, plus I was hospitalised in general psych, so we were put into groups. I was hospitalised in the early hours of of a Sunday morning, being hospitalised was at, there was something really amazing about finding that rock, rock bottom because I really did think this is, this can't get any worse now. Mm. This really has got the worst it could possibly go, get. There was a liberation in that where I thought, okay, the only way now is is going back, is getting, coming back from that. Felt safe as well because I was um, in that percentage that you mentioned, I was extremely suicidal at this point. Mm. So there was something in that where I was like, relief. I didn't have to pretend anymore. I didn't have to try. But being thrown then suddenly that first Monday morning into group therapy and being like, are you serious? Like suddenly sitting in a room with people that hadn't just had babies that were suffering with alcoholism and bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. Actually, coming out of that now, this is the universal bit I've taken from this. Um, I realise those people, you think you might watch a film or you... Um, you know, this sensationalised, dramatic version of what a psychiatric ward looks like. And you think, I would, I can't believe I'm here. That's what you think as you sit on that chair. But then you realise everyone's thinking that. Everyone is thinking, I shouldn't be here. These people are, you know, with speech marks, mad. You know, they're mad. They're not like me. Of course I have to be there. That's absolutely where... What else do you think that that experience looks like? Mm. So... 
that's the bit I've realised very quickly that this is wider than than me, like that this is bigger than my everyday, as you said, experience. No, it wasn't what I thought. But I don't, and that's when I said in that um, passage that you just read, no one's experienced. But when the health visitor came before I got hospitalised, I sort of felt like I needed to like put a cake in the oven and have makeup and an apron and be like, oh, you just caught me baking bread and the children's washing is out on the line and all of this stuff. It is toxic poison. Mm. That whole mystery is just not reality. And mm. I was having this conversation with my friend the other day and we've grown up since we were three together and both of our mums were working women and she was like, you you have to understand, our mums were mums that were doing the opposite of that, that had come from mums like that, mm. that were cooking and cleaning and doing all of that. And our mums were the ones that broke out of that cage and wanted to work and earn money and be independent and be themselves. And we didn't, neither of us think of our mums as particularly hands-on maternal. It was the dads that did all the day-to-day -day stuff and our mums were the ones out working. So when we had our kids... We're like, I want to make sure I'm really present and really there and doing all that stuff. But the problem is because of the time and the expectation on us all and the fast pace of life, we're kind of doing everything like 30%. It's like I'm working really hard and I'm being really hands-on mum and I'm trying to earn money and I'm trying to keep my mental health together and see my friends and look cool and look good and all this stuff. And it's just too much mm -hmm. and you can't do everything across the board. And I'm not saying that I went mad because of social media, but social media certainly didn't help. I put a picture up of myself being like, yay, mum, yay, world, I've done it, I'm a mum. When really, that was the first day I actually heard a voice, like, in my mind. But now on the other side yeah. of that, I've got to say, social media has been incredibly powerful mm. because I have had so many messages from women that are in that dark time in their, when they're breastfeeding on the couch in the corner or a parent or a partner is struggling or can see a friend is going through something that's been amazing kind of quick fire response to be able to because as you said it's a medical emergency mm. I think this issue of shame that exists is, is so tied to this thing around the burden of the maternal archetype and how you know this 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 archetype that we are you know, it's consciously, subconsciously, biologically, deeply, we are expect we expect ourselves and others expect us to step into as soon as we have a baby. And I think that is it it, it can be such an impenetrable definition that you are forced to fucking carry, you know, when for some people for so many people, and I can testify this from so many of my friends who've had babies you just don't know yourself once you step into that, that, you that guys. And the shame that comes with saying, I'm not okay. This is not who I am. I feel like I'm suffocating in my own life. And of course, I, I love my baby and I would more than life itself. And I would fucking throw myself under a train to protect them. But I also feel completely disconnected from everything in the world, who I was, what I am, you know, and you can't say that because every single person that asks you, you know, how are you? Is the best thing ever? It's every question is loaded with the expectation that you're just doing fine, you know. And, totally and, is. And, you know, you go through this experience, which is, you know, per personally for me, you know, I, I think my experience of birth was cataclysmic, <laughs> you know, and it was without any medical intervention. It was inverted commas natural I had pa paracetamol with both of them partly because they ended up happening so quickly I didn't have time to get anything else but I certainly felt that thin veil between life and death billowing as I pushed both my mm. babies into existence and you know certainly felt profound shock and very very deep shock after both the births and there was no moment at which you're given a chance to kind of integrate that and for that to be recognised because immediately then it's on to the baby and how they are, which of course is really important too. But as a result, the mother is kind of... Do, 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 do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I do, wonder if that I kind do. of speaks to your experience because certainly I had... When I had my baby, there was eight of my girlfriends that had kids in the same nine months. We all had girls there were eight girls born within a year and I wouldn't say a single one of us didn't have a moment of of deep deep sort of 
like unprecedented darkness. Women go through a profound existential trauma when they give birth. It's this, it's this thin line between life and death. And yet we have no moment after that for it to be named and recognised and integrated in a, in a healthy way. So that chaos becomes disorder. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and also not only are you just expected... It's not just go through this massive life-death experience and be fine. Like, it's be euphoric. Why aren't you euphoric? Why isn't this the best day of your life? This is a much better day for me now chatting to you. This is a much, much better day for me. The original title of the book, what I was going to call it, was going to be The Broken Oven because that's how I felt. I felt like I had spent all this time with all these people, my partner's family included, my family included, my friends peering through the glass, you know, watching this cake, cook, 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 came out and they all just went off, you know, to ice it, ice it and eat it. And I was just there, like, calling down on my own in the other room. Oh, darling, fucking Till hell. then it was like, oh, shit, she's broken. Let's chuck her out on the roadside. Not that anyone chucked me out on the roadside. But that's honestly how I felt. I was like, wait, this is the thing that did all the... Without the oven, what are you going to do, microwave that thing? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's so, no quick cook setting here, guys. Sorry. What is this? No Betty Crocker, boy. <laughs> this ain't no Paw Patrol cupcakes. So, um, yes, that. And then, God. you know, eight out of ten new mums struggle, you know, in those weeks after giving birth. Eight out of ten. That's the majority. And that's the ones that are telling the truth, you know. So what you just said there, that billowing and that veil between life and death, 100 percent and the, it, I don't understand how if this is the most universal thing which everyone is doing all over the world all over the time you know you said all of your friends just in one year look how many babies there are you've got two girl groups there you know splodged out in one year I don't understand how with all the other unsolicited advice that we don't want about the tears and the boobs and the hair and all these other things that are going to happen physiologically, you know, physically to yourself when you go through carrying and birthing a child. What about your head? Why are we leaving out? Why is this conspiracy just happening? And, you know, I found myself doing it because I, um, when other women, the only people that really ask you truthfully how your birthing experience was are pregnant people. Mm. And so you don't want to go, it's fucking hell. It's absolutely hell. Mm. I remember another friend saying to me, it felt like one day I was me and the next day I was not. And it's like, that's exactly it. You know, it's like, how could I just be this one person and then gone through this massive thing and then I never see life ever again the same? You know, you should have to jump over a toadstool or something like at Brownies to go into Girl Guides. Like, there should be some sort of acknowledgement of what you're about to go through. Mm. And then it's just relentless, isn't it? Because if I went through that kind of major... I had an emergency C-section... So afterwards, like through major surgery, you kind of think you would need after that, you know, rehabilitation and all that kind of stuff. And it's just no get straight away to it and keep somebody alive. Mm. I think for me, the thing that I found most sort of chilling is for the few, the friends of mine within that year who, who did have, who did, who really experienced the kind of darker side of new motherhood and the kind of the, the, the chaotic aspect of birth and that kind of really the really darker stuff which only really existed in the shadows for a long time lots of us couldn't even really have those conversations with each other because even with your best friends you you're kind of you're you still feel like you're you know bound by this kind of this shame that you just can't say it and that for yes. me was the most chilling thing at all on reflection of course these 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 conversations and the, and the truth of the capital t starts to emerge over time but you know how terrible is that that even within your most trusted group of friends and girlfriends you even then don't feel that you can you can you can speak the truth of what's happening to you and i think you know that is such a huge part of what you know i'm sure kind of intensify a lot of absolutely yeah. well shame was probably the yeah. biggest symptom of all of the symptoms of my illness was mm. shame and if this was normalized we've got a kind of odd it's odd in our culture that we push mental illness away I, I know it is it's really improved I do understand that but actually this is a time when you should be brought in the most you know mm. protected looked after fed watered like it I was catatonic at times I couldn't even bring a 
forkful of food to my mouth. You know, I had no desire to eat or any of those things. So how, because it's invisible, well, it can get to the point where it's not invisible anymore, but it's just, it's not, it's not a case of riding it out. And I, I don't, if I hadn't have gone to hospital that night, um, yeah, I would have, I would have died, which is just crazy now. It is crazy because I, I, how, how happy I feel now, but in that, that it, that's why it's an emergency. And it's so strange because it is, your brain is fighting you, it's attacking your brain. So, and but the problem is your brain knows all your weaknesses. It learns everything that you know about yourself. So that's why it's such a cruel illness mm. because it, it, it learns what you do. It's not like, you know, you're not fighting off a cold, which you can just attack with antibodies. This is different to that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and but just so anyone listening who feels like they can't tell their friend, you know, it's amazing when you do start speaking about it. And on any level, for people that haven't even had babies... I've been cornered, you know, by security guards at stuff that have opened up and said, oh, I had a psychotic or I'm on antidepressants or I had a breakdown after I lost my parent or whatever it is. And actually, it is universal and I feel so much more plugged into the world, you know, after experiencing this. I'm grateful for it because it's given me so much more empathy, so much more kindness um, and a capacity for gratitude, for love. I feel plugged in. I feel like when old people go, life is hard, this is what they're talking about. They're not talking about redundancy. Mm. They're talking about this actual stuff that makes the world go round. But, you know, as well, there are women that have had my illness and gone on to have more babies and still had it again, the symptoms again, and lied about it again a second time round, even though they've experienced it, they've got the knowledge, the insight, the wisdom, the vocabulary, they still don't want to say it's come back. Again, shame has come again. So no one should ever feel shame for feeling shame. <laughs> and actually, once I in my recovery, what's crazy again is that saying goodbye to shame and guilt, because they're so useless, what, they, they go really easily. Once you go... I don't have capacity or space for you. It's not like the same with anxiety or something like that that is hard because we need anxiety in our function. We don't need guilt. We don't need shame. Once you start practising letting it go, it goes within days. That's how useless it is. It's just fat and it's not... Just don't believe it. Don't let it bluff you because it's not real. Mm, that's so interesting. So, so, so what was your... What could you could you sort of describe that, that sort of internal process of, of getting to the place oh, where you feel yeah. you, could, you could shed that? That's, that's yeah. Amazing. So I learned CBT, which was incredible. CBT is my number one boyfriend. <laughs> I'm actually after my six week holidays, I'm rusty, rusty on the old CBT skills. <laughs> but um, yeah, doing talking therapy, uh, but active therapy. So not just somebody sitting and listening because I am. I, I, love, I mean, I'm not speaking for you, but I imagine like you, Jess, who's good at talking about how they're feeling and has friends that are also willing to listen. I feel mm. so blessed for that, that I can talk to my friends and they we can have these conversations. It's not like I'm a locked box. So sitting there with somebody, then I'm thinking, what's a therapist thinking about me, thinking about that? It's like too much. Mm. Somebody that I can talk it through with and and study and learn, you know, and I felt started to feel from shame of seeing a therapist which is wild looking back because now it's so part of my language, but feeling in that same way that an annoying person loves exercise that wears the matching wristband and the matching cuffs and showing their six pack off. I'd be like, I've got an internal brain six pack now, you know, <laughs> getting on the train and learning and juicing up, flexing my muscles. And sometimes teaching the therapist stuff, being like, well, actually, if you look into it, and I was like, wow, this is, whiz I'm wise. Um, it was actually really great. So... But a lot of that is harsh, you know, and I kind of went the harshest I could learn with that, probably because of the inner self-martyr. I had all that guilt and stuff in, like I'd... I hadn't gone to the Maldives snorkelling, you know. I'd gone through to a psychiatric ward, but I still felt like I had not done my mum's stint. Mm. I was tired because I was on antipsychotics and on sleeping medication, not because the baby was crying and I was up yeah. breastfeeding all night. So... Learning that, I did the hard kind of stoicism, reality, acceptance, you know, acceptance is a big one, just going, this has happened now, move on with that. Mm. Read this book called The Reality Slap, which is just like, hardcore, wake the fuck up, bitch. Mm. But then I learned about self-compassion, and when I learned self-compassion, that's when I started to really heal. I used to, like, hold in wheeze as a treat. This is even before I had Jet. I'd be writing, and I'd be like, when you've done 1,000 words, you get a wee, and it's a treat. <laughs> Now I just wee at my own leisure. <laughs> Quote, unquote. 
No, I just wee freely at my own leisure, you know? But Nature wees, wees behind cars in park, yeah. car parks. You know, wherever the whole we lot. go. Yeah. But you know, this is, this is a bigger subject. This is about mm. the lines of women and madness. Yeah. Anyway, women and pain are threshold, women and tolerance, women and apologising. This is a bigger, bigger subject, you know, of like, we don't want to be seen as weak. We need to be seen as strong, um, asking for help, or, or the opposite of that, you know, just being having fragile nerves or being delicate. There's so much history um, and mystique around this whole massive subject. Um, and especially when you work in the arts or you wear bright colours um, and people go, oh, she was always going to go one day. Why? Because I went to the Brit school. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, and that's the stuff that feeds into that when you're already going through a psychosis and you're desperate for a narrative, you're, you're plaiting everything together and everything looks like a sign and your brain is like Velcro, latching on thinking that you're a box of cereal for the day just because you've read it. It's exhausting and all of these plat into each other. And actually, in my case, it had nothing to do with the baby. That's the thing. Everyone goes, oh, you, you're a baby killer. It's like, this has nothing to do with Jet. This is all internalised. That- so that's why we need some fresh narratives on it. You know what, darling? That is exactly it. It's everything you have just described. And I love my baby more than anything that's ever existed in this universe. It's not or, it's and. Do you know what I mean? And. It's it not, is and. It's not, I feel, you know, I literally feel, I feel suicidal. I feel like I don't know myself. I feel blah, blah, blah. It's and I also love my child more than yes. anything that's ever existed. Oh, Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's not, well, it's not one of the expect- I was pushing, totally, I was pushing Jet away and my sister was crying. I remember this before I was hospitalised and she was going, just hold him, just hold him. And I was like, I, I can't. And it wasn't because I didn't love him. It was because I didn't want him to see me like that. I didn't want him to see me not loving him, not being myself, not smiling, not, uh, you know, singing along to the songs on the TV, whatever the hell it was. You know, I just felt so different. I didn't want him to know me. And that's why um, I don't try to get through this time without crying. I felt in in debt, you know, in debt to him that loved him too much that I didn't, does that make sense that I didn't what he did I didn't deserve him mm-hmm. in that way so and and this is going to be controversial and um but I feel like I should say it and I feel like this is probably the right place to say it many times if um if a suicide you know and it's kind of linked to being selfish you know or cowardly having been there myself in that place there it was never selfish you know I was never because of cow it takes an enormous amount of guts to go through with something like that because but it is because the opposite of that you know it's it's from a place of selflessness because you feel like you can't you don't want to input that on anybody else you know it's not because you're doing it because you're selfish and the all the thoughts I had about doing that was because I believed the world was a threat Mm. bigger threat to me you know than what what a suicide would would dying by suicide would have on my life if that makes sense it wasn't to harm anybody else um and that's what's so it's really niche difficult point but we have to talk about it because you need a board meeting to plan a suicide you know you need biscuits and a big board meeting it's not something you could just I can't even do the monkey bars in the playground you know how am I going to go through with something like that and so it takes a lot, you know, to so when it's that's why these kind of it's corrosive to throw these language at it, at it being something that because it just makes people hide in the shame and the stigma of it even more. Mm. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Firstly, I just wanted to say, Laura, that, you know, it's, it's, it's huge what you're doing, giving language mm. to this, you know, because these are, these are some of the most painful... The, pain, the most painful things to name and and to speak out loud. So, firstly, I just wanted to say thank you because I know for some, you know, for some people hearing these things back to them, it can actually save your life in a day just to somehow hear your internal experience just mirrored back to you in the words of another person. So, I just wanted just to acknowledge that mm. that moment because it's absolutely huge. Um, you know, I think there's something around new motherhood where you now exist in a world where you have this this person this being which and also just the, the talking about love love is also quite a, quite a, a for lots of mums a very very big heavy word to drop on them in early in the early stages of motherhood because lots of uh, new mums don't feel love straight away and that's fine you know, yes. I, th- I think love for lots of new mothers grows and it's something that, that absolutely emerges over time and, and, it, and it does. But I think a, a big part of the early shame, the, the early shame assault is that you have your baby and you don't feel that overwhelming love mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm, and you think, mm-hmm. oh my fucking God, what is mm-hmm, going on here? Mm-hmm, You'd mm-hmm. be the most maternal person in yes. the world. You know, I've got, you know, a couple of my friends who are the most maternal people I know who had very, very slow bonding processes with their babies. And, you know, as a result of the shame that they felt of not being able to say that they didn't feel like in love, they felt fiercely protective of them, but they didn't feel that big love thing. That was something that grew. And in both instances, there was definitely a slow emergence of depression that started to happen because they couldn't say it out loud and it wasn't till six months after when they spoke about it yeah you know the 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 biggest cause of death in the first year after having a baby is suicide that's such a crazy fact and this is meant to be the happiest time of our lives like Mm. so what is that gap there how can that be the true a fact you know that frightens me and what yeah the love thing I remember somebody actually was in a writing session somebody going to me um, I was pregnant and they said, just remember, you're carrying a stranger. You're giving birth to a stranger. And I remember thinking, all right, you cold person. This is so cold. That's horrible. And actually, that was helpful looking back yeah. to see it like that. Because I think we think because of movies yeah. that we're going to look into our child's eyes and go, oh, it's you, but small. No, it wasn't. It was a screaming, livid, hungry, angry goblin yeah. being held in the sky who was... I thought was going to be really chubby, but had been my wound basically had failed, so he was starving inside me, which is where already those guilt things came from. Of like, you think of a womb, and you know, a uterus is like a kind of sanctuary for growing and thriving. As for this is a dungeon, and he looked scary, and I was like, right, I've got a mission, and that's when he wanted to just feed for twenty four hours a day. I I felt like I couldn't, you know, when people said love, you're absolutely right. Love's got nothing to do with it because you're. I was being dripped, you know, it was like an ultimate vampire just leeching off me, you know, taking every single bit of ooze I had. And I knew that's where it had to go. That's instinctive. That's the love bit. But it wasn't till, so he was in Feb- born in February. It wasn't until the October. I remember the day where I just looked at him and I said, I actually love you now. And I mean those words. I'm saying that, that. So this when I get the text even now, you know, or I see it online, people go have a baby and they go, we're already head over heels in love. And I think, are you? Mm. Baby's born, happy and safe. We're so in love. And I just think, okay, maybe you are, but is that true? You know? And the thing is, for so many people, that, that does happen and that's wonderful. But oh, no. there's Jealous. absolutely no space to recognise literally millions of women all over the world who don't have that experience and it's probably one of the for lots of them one of the most scary things that you can go through and there's apps no it really is because you, you feel like there's something fucking wrong how can i not yeah. In, yeah how could i not instantly 
yeah. love my baby. Of course you feel protective over them. Is that deep primal protectiveness. No, you're right. You know, but it's I think I think it's 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 you know, a lot of the the kind of chaos and what what can you know evolve into you know mental illness can come from those very very early shocking few days and weeks totally. where just that very simple that thing which you just expected would be instant doesn't happen and suddenly you feel like you're in a world that you don't know anymore you you're know? absolutely right and I think that golden hour that we all hear about that skin to skin time and all of this stuff it's actually that's your this is the you're actually right this is the real point where my partner, you know, Hugo, he's amazing. He's done this whole journey with me. He's my We've been best friends since we were 14 years old and I just don't think if we hadn't had that insurance, you know, that time before, that foundation, if we would have made this through this because I completely, I didn't know who I was. I was a Rubik's Cube and he was dealing with the many sides mm. of me and psychosis and postpartum. So he's been amazing. But he, he said, and this is so interesting, he was like, there's a real opportunity here. You know, partners always think, what's my role in this place? You know, let that be your role. You know, your role is to basically be a police officer mm. to guard your partner and go, you have that advantage of knowing them better than anybody else in the world. You know how they fold their hair behind their ear, what they choose at a restaurant how they, what TV program, if their choices are being not them, if their behavior is weird, and it's really small because not only are you looking out for those warning signs early, but they also might be masquerading those signs too. I really felt like I was trying to be a mum, but with the world watching, you know, mm. even how I soothed him or was with him or held him or comforted him, you know, it's, it, as you say, it's not maternal. I, I write children's books for my job, you know, I've been a nanny, I'm a proud big sister. I'm I'm a mother hen in the making, and yet I was like, <laughs> like don't don't worry, little one, sign little one, <laughs> in front of the midwives, you know, they're there, you know, because you don't know what they have to suddenly say. Exactly. I remember being really shy around him, you know, super shy. Like, how do I? Mm. And and all then you got you know all the older women around you. I felt like at the time, obviously going, oh right, I gave birth to nineteen children in a cornfield, and I bit the umbilical cord apart with my teeth. You and know, had an orgasm. And had an orgasm. <laughs> That's my favourite. Oh yeah, I gave birth and had an orgasm. Like, oh, I got that phone call. You. you know, and it's just like good for fucking you. Yeah, <laughs> I only, I've been on medication for so long now. I've only just started to get them back again. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is this thing, isn't it, as well, you know, with birth. I just think, you know, so much focus goes on, you know, in the preparation with, like, hypnobirthing in your prenatal classes and all the stuff, the preparation for the birth. That mm. no, but there's absolutely no preparation for the way you feel emotionally, physically no. after the birth. Yes. And I think if we could just shift our, you know, the way that we... There should just be like a, an absolute, a total shift culturally in the way that we tend to and like recognise and hold space for the enormity of the kind of emergence of new motherhood for, for mothers. And there should be like a standard. And I know obviously you have like your midwife visits for the like four to six weeks afterwards, but it should be something much more than, than that, like a, a holding of space where, which allows all of this stuff to to emerge for whatever it is you know the goods the the, the you know the, the beautiful the dark the chaotic the painful so it can just you know after you know after I had my second baby one of my really dear friends as a present gave me um this thing called the closing of the bones ceremony and she had this beautiful beautiful friend that came around and did this like very it's like a, quite an interdisciplinary like like combination of different ancient rituals around basically what you're doing is holding space for the mother to just have someone to like recognize and integrate with her the enormity of what she's just done and to hold her and oh. and I just literally it was for two hours and I was in a half in a state of kind of relaxation sort of you know med probably absolutely catatonically tired but also just she just sort of held my body in different ways and bound me up in these beautiful tight and I just water just poured out of my eyes oh, don't. it oh. just was just like water 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 and I just felt so much better after it was just oh. like somebody saying here you are 
I'm here just to recognise what you've done and it was massive and of course it's emerged with your beautiful healthy baby girl but you've been through something massive too and I'm just here to really witness that. That's that she gave me chills you honestly know? because and here imagine it's if like we wrote that into the process totally, for months. So totally. after two weeks, you're gonna have someone come round and just honour the enormity of what you have done for a couple of hours. I mean, and that may not be you know job done, but I'm telling you what, it would do a lot more than what mums get now because there's nothing there's no space oh which is go and get away and do some burpees in the playground with a baby strapped to your chest and then blog about the experience it's yeah. just like exactly. <laughs> <coughs> that's so beautiful yeah and I just think you know if we could just start to incorporate some of that in just to the standard way in which we look after mums and babies because actually you know what if you look after the mum then that's the best thing you could do to look after the baby is make sure mum's okay you know then I call it oxygen masking it's like on your on on a plane where you're told to put the mask on yourself before you can with your child and if you're not okay you can't look after anybody else I totally agree with agree with you with that it's just expectation there's just too much that's so moving honestly that just brought me to tears especially when you've undergone like I was actually up for it. I was really up for a labour, you know. I really wanted that, like, mm. woman experience. And um, and some of us, you know, I'm not speaking for everybody. Of course, there's so many ways to bring a baby onto this planet, you know, of course. I'm not speaking for everybody. But as a, as a you know, me, I've had periods since I was 13 years old preparing, knowing sort of subconsciously that this is what this is going to be for. Already feeling pain and shame and cramps and dread and all of that stuff building you know for this moment that's what I was taught in my school this is what this is for then to go through all the motions of that and then to have a cesarean there was no moment where my brain and my body shook hands and went okay this is what's happening here I actually feel like this wasn't a hallucination uh, yet but I did actually feel myself you know in that 80s kind of ghost you know um movie that film ghost I felt like I felt myself leave. There was so much bad news was being fired at me and such a, you know, he's this, he's this, and there's this, oh, and then this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. I felt like I felt myself check out and go by, and then I did not realise it was going to take me about 10 months for that to return spirit to, yourself. to come yeah, back. To come back to yourself. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea, otherwise I probably would have gone, no, oh, please don't go. <laughs> I'm going to really need yeah. you no, for this. I mean, and that, that's the thing is that, you know, birth, childbirth just needs to be recognised. It's not just a profound biological and physical experience. It's a profound psychological event is, in a woman's life that needs to it be honoured and, you know, honoured for what it is, you know. And I'm grateful that my illness was as bombastic and as huge as it was mm. because I got the help I needed. Yeah. It's that low-level surface depression anxiety that kind of comes wherever you go that's there to stay that rumbles along with you and play group and to the supermarket or to your meeting or your exercise group whatever the hell you're doing your date and it's just there going bubbling along and you're just going trying to be a trooper and yeah. riding it out and I just think you don't have to suffer yeah this is completely treatable yeah. there's you haven't done anything wrong at all it's not your fault and actually by trying to be that hard being the martyr being the ultimate mum hero don't do it yeah. get yourself to the doctors get the help you need and just so anyone is listening and feeling like doing that contact the treatment isn't also quick you know you get on that road get on that road to recovery and ask for help it's such a simple thing, isn't it? Just saying, it is, but saying it's hard. to somebody, saying, but just saying to somebody, what you feel is okay. Yeah. What you feel oh, is okay. Yes, that's what I wanted to say you to know. you, which is why it's so amazing you're doing this podcast. Which is what I wanted to say. We're always, especially now at the moment, we're taught to listen, listen, listen. That's all everyone says is listen, listen, listen. Yeah, yeah listening is amazing. Listening is so important. But actually, talking, as you said earlier hearing somebody say in their own words this is what I went through I would suck up any human experience story of alcoholism or grief anything about someone going through something hard and coming out the other side Mm. abuse whatever it was and going wow as you say this is bigger this is human experience this isn't just this and actually this has made me a better mum because I can now teach to my son and go you feel a tiny bit not okay you tell me and we'll make sure you get the help that you need because this is bigger than that. It's bigger than what someone bullying you in the playground because 
you know, your mum's on medication or whatever the hell it is. It's like, say what you want. I need this is actually life or death now. It's too big. Mm. It's too big to go around and pretend it doesn't exist. So actually, the the insight and the wisdom, that the tools that I've learned from this, I can help him from that. I'm a better mum because of that, you know. I'm not worried now if he's eating Cocoa Pops at 10 o'clock at night. I don't <laughs> care. Eat it. Eat it. Because I nearly died by suicide and I'm here. So you eat that, boy. You eat that. <laughs> a fucking men to that. <laughs> oh, darling. There was... So I heard you say, um, I just thought it was it was such an, such an important question, this, that I would... And it's a question that you posed, but I would like to put it back to you for you to answer. You said, what, what even makes a person a mother? It's not the simple act of just giving birth to a child. I'd love for you to kind of speak to us a little bit more about that. Um, well, I heard the other day... You know, I've always said that becoming a mum is a mirror, you know. That you're forced to look at yourself through the baby. It pings back, and I'm not just talking about memories, which it does do that anyway. I don't know if you've read Philippa Perry's book, and um, it's amazing, um, the book you wish your parents had read. But everything, you know, that I didn't... Small things, you know... I didn't used to like the way my mum would flap, do her makeup in the flap down of the car mirror. She'd do it, and it... I just used to feel that was so... I don't know why it bothered me. It was like, made me think of everything our childhood was, which was like rushed or her going to do something for work. And I've always promised myself I wouldn't do that. You know, I don't want to ever see Jet do my makeup in the car in a rush sort of thing. Little things like that. So it mirrors you. But then you get to this new place, which is probably the first time I've only just got to this place, which is probably after the six-week holidays. (laughs) It's not just a mirror. It's a door. It becomes a door. And that's when you walk through to this next phase of your life. And that's when shit really shifts because you do all the looking at yourself, all the reflection, all the hard work, probably a bit too hard on yourself. Mm. You learn things and then that mirror, you're like, oh, shit, it's got hinges, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And then you go through. And maybe that's to a hall of mirrors, I don't know. And then whatever happens there, but it's a door. And then you go through to this new thing. I was just going to ask you, um, what does courage feel like? Well, I'll tell you the truth, is that I'm so glad to have got rid of my shit little childhood fears. They're all gone. I'm just so glad that I don't have... Um, you know, I'm not scared of witches anymore, or ghosts, or monsters. And ramps, I'm so scared of ramps. Like, I'm just like, all my childhood fears have just gone. And that's just so... It's like surviving... Dying by suicide is like having a passport to life. You're just like, I'll give that a go now, which is just so amazing. And the preparing me for this lockdown, lockdown was nothing for me from being compared to being locked down in my mind. Mm. And going into lockdown actually is what I needed. You know, I, the book we were meant we're launching it meant to launch it at the Palladium, London Palladium. Some people might go, oh my God, you know, reading that book on that stage in front of lots of people or whatever, does that take courage? It's like actually letting all of that go, letting your whole life go, that's what takes courage. Mm. You know, when if you want to get better, I would say this to anybody, stop resisting. Mm. It's not about fighting. I learned this amazing book I read called um, Self Help for Your Nerves, which is the book I, my Bible basically, by Dr. Claire Weeks. She talks about this technique called floating and she says, you know, don't fight, don't freeze, you know, float, just float past mm. it, float, float the fork oh, to your mouth, I love that. float yourself to the train station, float your baby around the park with a buggy or, I mean, this is not just for babies, but for anybody. And actually the key to getting better is trust that you will get there give yourself to the wind you know and you will land don't try and fight you know don't try and fight it that's only going to set off your whole body's alarm system to go okay we're fighting we're fighting it's exhausting you will get there and that takes courage is just going okay Mm. surrender really surrender Surrender. and accept acceptance it's harsh it's harsh and i'm not saying enduring that don't be held like a little baby by Mm. somebody that loves you i'm not saying you have to do it on your own and you can't cry about it. and <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Amazing. <laughs> now, darling, before we move to our last section of the podcast, or the last question, I would like to know, who would you like to be proud of you? If there's one person living or could have 
it could be someone who's passed away who'd like to be proud of you who would that be and why I think I already said that which should just be my son Jet you know I just want him to think I, I this is new things now I'm like oh god is it going to be is this going to be the the book that gives him all his excuse for his angsty teenage poetry and his kind of Nirvana <laughs> Nirvana tribute band is because my mum had those problems like guns <laughs> I was speaking to Denise Welsh actually Denise Welsh's book The Unwelcome Visitor she speaks about postnatal depression so well in that um and hers was she'd never had mental illness before until um having her her uh, boy who's now you know the lead singer of the 1975 oh, okay cool. and he did he's written a song in 1975 about her de- postnatal depression oh, wow. and just that it's just that must be so wild for her now I never thought about how you know this, this is my mum might have gone oh god my daughter's written a book about losing her mind you know how this must feel like then singing it on stage you know it's just those things so you know Am I going to... Maybe he'll be Kirk Bain because of that. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, Jet. Jet, of course. Amazing. So every episode, we ask a guest to, to dedicate their episode to, to a song. Um, I knew my song straight away. Oh, okay. Um, and it's a song... Imagine, it was a song I wrote in a studio. Of a re- no. <laughs> um, it's... A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Um, it's PJ Harvey's We Float. Um, and I, that song just really helped me in my recovery purely because of what I was just speaking about. So it was so strange because I had never heard of this technique. And then I heard this song um, and it just perfectly, if you look, look into the lyrics, it's almost like she's read that book and has used it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just brilliant. So it, and, and the chorus just really does I so I would, when I first was able to start exercising again I would run to the park with, with that around me and um just reminded me at one point I had the word float written all over my house in post-it notes which made me feel like I'd gone gone off again but um <laughs> now it's just internalized so yeah that would be my um my song oh my god amazing well listen I can't think of a better song to play out with than this but Laura I just wanted to say thank you you are an absolute fucking hero and oh, thank you for everything I'm not that a peach you actually do, everything that you are <laughs> and we fucking love you thank you oh thank you so much Jess and thank, thank you, you. For, for spending this time with us I can't tell you what oh. it means to me and I know what it will mean to all of our listeners so thank you oh thank you thank you Jess so here we have it PJ Harvey we float we wanted to find love We wanted success Until nothing was enough Until my middle name was excess Somehow I lost touch When you went out of sight When you got lost into the city Got lost into the night
in need of help Head into blackout Till someone told me run on in, honey For somebody blows your goddamn brains out You shoplifted as a child You carried all my hopes Until something broke inside But now Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score. Five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tyburn and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot.